Welcome to another episode of the Patient Convert Podcast. I am super excited not only to be joining my co-host again, but to have one of our good friends who I had the pleasure to connect with. I think it was about a year ago when I learned a lot about what he does as a physician and some of his incredible products that I use myself, my mother uses, and she can't get enough of as well. We have Dr. Jim Beckman with us today. Dr. Beckman, can you tell our listeners a little bit about who you are and kind of what type of physician you are and and what you do? Sure. I grew up in Fort Smith, Arkansas, in a household with eight children, six of them girls. I was kind of left to my own to I got no mirror time, you know, unless I was <laughs> waiting around till 11 in the morning or something like that. But I, I was acutely aware uh, at dinner table, I'd hear them talk about, well, I was on the bus today and somebody mentioned this spot on my face or something like that. So I was way long before going to medical school aware of what women think about when they look in the mirror. And some of the intangible things that affect how they're going to react the rest of the day, depending on what they saw in the mirror. In other words, how their perspective affected their behavior. And my mother and father, neither one went to college, but they made sure that all eight of their children were going to go to college. So I went to college and it was like, well, science was the most interesting thing in the world to me. So I I majored in chemistry which of course was in the science field. And I've always had a heart for chemistry and how it affects our daily bodies. How, I mean, we're just, we're chemicals all put together in a very special, important, blessed way, but it gets back to chemicals. And that's what life is all about is how things react. So I was very interested in in college, majoring in chemistry to go further into how chemistry affected people. And I talked to my advisor and he said, well, you don't think about medical school. I said, well, what does it require to go to medical school? And he said, well, it's, it's a little more difficult than college, costs a little more, takes a little longer and that sort of thing. But here's what it is. And I said, well, that sounds good to me. I applied and I waited for about six months to get a reply. And I hadn't heard anything back from medical school, whether I was accepted or not. And they had accepted me the day they got my application, but they mailed the acceptance letter to the wrong address. So I hadn't <laughs> received it. Wow. So I said, well, is it too late to get in for next year's class? And they said, well, it'd probably be better to, to wait because this is like a week, you know, to get ready to go to four years of medical yeah. school. And so I did a, a period of time taking a, some extra classes in, in science and enjoying life and then went to medical school, and in medical school, and then did a surgical residency, but in in the residency part of it, you got to preceptor with someone out in private practice, and I got to spend a month with a board-certified plastic surgeon in Little Rock, where the medical school is, where I was in training, and I was just enthralled. I'd never heard of what plastic surgeons did. I was thinking, well, just cosmetic but sewing a finger on that gets cut off with a bandsaw or a car wreck that has multiple head injuries and you're working with orthopedists and other other physicians. So it just opened up a whole new world of what can be. And I said, well, I got to do that. 
And then I got to looking into it. Well, I had to do, you know, four years of general surgery before I could do plastic surgery. And I had a wife and three kids by that time. So it was a little more involved than just, you know, well, let's take this bus. Right. And I've been blessed my whole life with, with good opportunities. And I was able to go to medical school, spend some time with a plastic surgeon, then do a residency in plastic surgery. And I was so tired of big city urban because I was raised on, in a rural area, pretty much on a, on a dairy farm. And the downtown city of Memphis is not probably the safest place to live after dark. You know, the, yeah. if there's not a street light in front of your house, the potted plant's going to disappear off the porch. <laughs> so I ended up in plastic surgery and said, I want to go to the a small town. I want to get outside the city and that sort of thing. So I started my practice in Mountain Home, Arkansas, population 2,500. And my colleagues in, in practice in the city said, you're going to starve to death. There's, you know, you need a 100,000 population. Well, that, that little town I went to was the medical drawing area for a 100-mile radius almost. So there was oh. People in car wrecks, people cutting hand on glass, and you know, patients were out there, but they were going two hours by car to a big city somewhere. So I started my practice, and I I was raised believing that you shouldn't borrow money because you have to pay it back, and you may not be able to when the time comes due. Mm -hmm. And there was no such thing as not paying your debt. So I started small. At an office with a desk and a chair and one receptionist, which was also the office manager, which was also a billing clerk, oh, yeah. that sort of thing. Of course, in a small town, that, that That's pretty usual, environment because huh? <laughs> family practice guys were the same type thing. And through that, I kept in touch in my plastic surgery practice with the medical center and what was going on. I'd go one day a week down to just observe a new hand surgery operation or a new technique for something. So I, I was always developing my expertise, if you will, or my familiarity, because if you're the only guy in a small town that's 100 miles to the next plastic surgeon, the car wreck comes in at one o'clock in the morning, you need to do something. Right. So you were on yeah. call a lot with your family, huh? There was and, a lot of... Yeah, I was on call 24-7. And it was just a matter of, I mean, I could... I could go to the emergency room, take care of what it was, get back home, get in bed, and five minutes later, sound asleep. I was going to say, and then the alarm goes off. So it wasn't a problem. I grew up in a dairy farm environment, so the day started at 3 o'clock in the morning milking cows anyway. So I I was used to odd hours, if you will. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And through that plastic surgery residency, I said, I... I'm tired of the big city. I had kids for that time. I wanted to go to a small area, and, and that's how I ended up in the central north part of Arkansas, which is right in the middle of national forest country and not much population there. And a, a good friend of mine, an older plastic surgeon in Little Rock, said most people wait to retire until they finish their practice. <laughs> I enjoyed the opportunity to see a lot of things that would be taken care of by family practice doctor or emergency room doctors, you know, cuts and things of that sort. And I've always loved people. And of course, having, you know, 
siblings in a large family, it was easy to communicate and fit into a group or invite somebody into my group. And after, I guess it was four or five years in practice over there, my practice grew so large that I was working 80 hours a week, but it wasn't large enough to support another plastic surgeon. So that's the conundrum. Right, uh, you're gonna, you need you're, someone you're gonna to help die early them. by yourself. And that's when I moved to Northwest Arkansas, Fayetteville, Springdale area, which is where our main university is. And, you know, 150 doctors in this area. So referral area for a wide space. And it took about six months to build a practice because nobody knew what a plastic surgeon did. They thought plastic surgeons would take some plastic and put under your eyelids and, you know, it's purely cosmetic. Right. But when they found out that I could re-implant a finger that got cut off with a chainsaw, then I started getting called to the emergency room. And when the emergency room doctors were just Real busy at two in the morning in a car wreck, a busload of kids come in injured. I said, call me, I'll come. I can, I can take care of small cuts as well as major things. So that's how I got to know the other doctors in town was through the emergency room because everybody sends patients to the emergency room. And emergency room doctor said, well, I, you need to send this patient to see Dr. Beckman for whatever reason. But anyway, I've been blessed. That's, the only thing I can say about it. Well, I've always been honest. I've always tried to do the very best work that I could do. And if I didn't know how to do something, buy a book that tells you how to learn how to do it. And of course, that led to a lot of other things. Buying an airplane, learning how to fly, <laughs> to say, go to other towns and see patients. But Can we talk for a second? So we're, we're starting our podcast. We do a usual talk with our guests before we record. And sure. Dr. Beckman drops on us that you know just it was just a long drive it was a tough drive and it was easier to fly to work sometimes <laughs> so not only is he a physician but he's a pilot as well so it's pretty cool you must be a, a true master of your craft can you tell us a little bit about why did you get into flying when you have so much going on already well I was still practicing in another town 100 miles away two days a week and that meant getting up at three o'clock in the morning to drive to be there for eight o'clock surgery and then getting home at 10 o'clock at night after seeing patients after surgery till six in the evening. And you know, it just made sense to, won't you fly? So I bought an airplane and for a long time, I say a long time, six months hired a pilot to take me over there and he'd fly back. So he was making, you know, two, two round trips a day, taking me over. So cost-wise, flying an airplane, you know, a couple hundred dollars an hour, expense-wise, didn't make sense for right. that expense, pilot expense. And I, I just learned to fly, bought a smaller airplane that I could get there. And it's kind of like buying a car if you got to drive to work. I mean, you get the machine to do the work that you can't do without. And... Little Rock's in the central central Arkansas. And I went down two days a month to their dermatology department. They didn't have, they don't still don't have a plastic surgeon in their staff positions. So I would go down two days a month and see any of those reconstructive problems that needed to be seen from general surgery or orthopedics or a hand clinic or dermatology. 
anyway, I've, I like stretching out and seeing new things. It's the best way to describe well, why I do what I do. It sounds like you have a lot of experience and it. it really reminds me a lot when you talk just kind of how you were educated, even as a physician, seeing totally different types of patients in different circumstances and really putting yourself out there and networking, connecting with the physicians at the hospital, in the emergency room and learning how to be a plastic surgeon or what type of surgeon in general you wanted to be. So now that you are where you are now and you have your own private practice, you also developed some products and a lot of physicians struggle, even with your own conversation you just had, how little time you had as a surgeon, how difficult was it for you not only to make the choice to kind of become a physician entrepreneur and create these products, but how did you find the time? And did well, you find that's a, a good question? It's out? like most things. If you're building a house, you don't buy a bunch of lumber and move in tomorrow. You have to have a plan and it has to be focused over a period of time. So in my practice, in terms of how to do things, you you had to take care of business today, but you had a long-term plan and you needed to be closer to the goal by five o'clock this afternoon than you were this morning. So small steps that are well-planned and well-positioned will get you to a destination almost anywhere. And when I moved over here in Fayetteville, Arkansas from Mountain Home, I out, out, outgrew, if you will. I, I, I couldn't work 80 hours a week. I needed to have a partner and it wasn't big enough to justify a partner. So I moved to Fayetteville, which is really Northwest Arkansas. It's Walmart's basic hometown, mm -hmm. 15 miles away. So there are tons of folks that can afford to have both cosmetic elective surgery, as well as those that have injuries that would require some reconstructive expertise. And I moved over here to be able to have a partner. And within six months, I was able to justify hiring a partner, taking a new plastic surgeon on. And this kind of the rest is history. I still went down to Little Rock to medical school two days a month to teach general surgeons the residency program how to take care of burn injuries and significant injuries, not cosmetic type things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So dabbling in a lot of things, if you, if you watch and, and learn and listen, it, it broadens your bag of tricks, if you will. Well, and it sounds too like you started to take that teaching journey a little bit more now that you learned what you learned, where you learned in your residency and when you were in Little Rock and, and kind of expanding and then trying to teach the next generation of physicians coming in and what that looks like for patients in healthcare. Then when you made the leap to be a physician entrepreneur, did you have a decision in your head that you wanted to create additional revenue? Were you just passionate about creating a superior product as a surgeon, as a, a cosmetic plastic surgeon, or were you just ready to be an entrepreneur? Did you ever think you'd be an entrepreneur? Or, you know, it's kind of, I guess what I'm asking is, did you go out trying to be an entrepreneur or were you a surgeon that just tried to create a superior product for your patients? 
I guess you might say I've always been an entrepreneur. My sisters and I used to make popsicles and sell them outside the house <laughs> when we were in grade school. Popsicle so, hustler. So Theroderm's <laughs> journey begins uh-huh. as a popsicle hustler. Well, I guess I, I guess taking a step back while you're answering that is because we didn't even mention it. Tell us a little bit. So you right. have what I mean, again, Kelly can attest and so can her mom having used the products firsthand. Uh, really them. an industry leading line of products called Theraderm that you created and have some incredible technology that's a part of it that you've got patents on. So tell us a little bit about the product itself. And then obviously kind of what, what Kelly was asking, what got you to that journey? Thank you. Okay. Well, it's, it's really easy growing up the way I did and making things to get through the day that you needed. It was an easy jump when I was seeing patients as a plastic surgeon, I did a lot of hand surgery. And you always shake hands with a patient and you notice if it's like sandpaper or if it's mm-hmm. like velvet. Yeah. And I'd ask patients, I mean, your hands feel like they're really rough. What kind of work do you do? And do, do your hands bother you? Do, you know, what kind of moisturizers you use? And it became very obvious early on that most moisturizers don't have... They don't really soak into the skin to restore the skin. They coat the surface like a like a Vaseline glove, if you will. And so I knew from my chemistry that lanolin is an animal oil. It comes from sheep's wool. And folks that are in, in industries where their hands get dried out use lanolin on their hands to keep mm-hmm. from dry, cracked, painful appendages. And so when I'd shake hands with a patient and notice their hands were dry, when they'd leave the office, I'd give them a little jar of our Beckman skincare cream, which is lanolin-based, and they'd use it and love it and change their, their life approach to, especially housewives, washing dishes and in the water every day, in and out. You know, it wasn't a riot or a revolution, but a, a quiet accumulation of people that said, can I buy some of that? And that's when we said, well, let's just make a brand, make some and make it available and go to pharmacies and see if they want to stock it, go to doctors and see if they want to have it available. Of course, later on, all that was before internet. Now people buy things on the internet rather than drive 10 miles to the store. But your journey with the product started with that boots to the ground marketing. I mean, you had to go out to these pharmacies, I'm sure, as the physician to even talk about the product, how did you ed- educate others on the product? Were you using your connections and network of physicians that you built through the years? Well, that's, that's a good question. This all started back in 91 and 92. So it was, think about it, it was before internet. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Before a, a lot of the major marketing tools are, that are available today. But I'd go to plastic surgery meetings for the educational part. You know, a three-day meeting in mm-hmm. New York in the spring and one in California in the fall. There'd be a thousand plastic surgeons there. So we just ran an eight-foot booth space and have a table. And Susie, you work for Dr. Smith. Try some of this on your hands. And if, if you wouldn't mind, drop back by tomorrow and, and let us know what your thoughts were. And so it was like handing out marijuana in high school. You get a <laughs> customer base pretty quick. Oh, yeah, uh, they'd come back the next day and say, I think we could use this in our clinic. So that's gradual, but 
but very uh, directed growth was through one-to-one through meetings primarily. Absolutely. Talk a little bit about because there there are so many of these kind of medical grade skincare products out there. You got Skin Medica, Neocutis. I mean, there's there's just so many. If you walk into any med spa or full body or facial plastics, you're going to usually see a wall of of medical grade skincare products that they're promoting. Obviously, the marketer in me, I'd love to talk about having a product that doctors are putting on their shelf, so to speak. What have you seen? And why would you recommend carrying things like this and growing a reven- an additional revenue stream in those types of practices? And what advice do you have for them? And A, why they should do it, obviously, to, to better serve their patient base, but tips on creating a new revenue stream inside of the practice by selling a product like the one you have. Well, one more little thing about the lanolin-based. Lanolin, lanolin is an animal oil. Mm-hmm. It comes from sheep's wool. And that's what allows the sheep to be out in the rain. We see it on TV where there's yeah, a herd of sheep oh, yeah. it's raining and they're just, just comfortable chewing and eating and doing whatever. It's the lanolin waterproofs. So it does the same yeah. thing to your skin. If you waterproof skin in a way that it can still breathe, mm-hmm. then you restore the pliability or preserve the pliability of the skin, the softness and those sort of things. And what we use is, is a very thin grade called medical grade of lanolin. So it will absorb into the skin rather than just coat the surface. Mm-hmm. So you put it on and 10 minutes later, you're not greasy. But if you yeah. use Vaseline yeah. or those kind right. of products, you have a, you're slick all day. And yeah. get that car. <laughs> Can't open a, well, and we a pickle live, jar. I live in Florida. So I do, to the listeners, I use this product. I was lucky to connect with Dr. Beckman and learn more about it. I, as a new mom, had hormone and skin changes. And that's when I really started using these products. And I live in Florida, so we sweat a lot. So not only do I use the Theraderm sunscreen, SPF, for just daily use, but exactly what you just talked about, Dr. Beckman, is I hated some other products (laughs) I'd put on my face and I felt the grease even in the heat, or if I was out running errands, you can feel almost your makeup sitting on top of the lotion and you can see it and it starts to separate. And with Theraderm, I never experienced any of that. It was exactly what you said. You are able to put it on, you can let it soak in and you don't feel like it's an additional layer of oil that's on top of your face or or clogging your pores or in the way of any of your daily activities, even in the heat, which was pretty impressive. Yeah, our, our attempt was to restore skin, not to make it look pretty, but restored skin is pretty. So it's a, a natural effect and benefit from, you know, you, you can put shoe polish on your shoes, but if you put some shoe polish on that absorbs into the leather and makes it soft, it doesn't crack and wear out as much. And skin is, is basically the same material as shoe leather. It just hadn't been, you know, harvested and chemically treated and all those things. The fibers in the network are basically the same as leather. That's where leather comes from. It's from skin. Well, and I I think when we talked originally, you talked to me about the products. You talked to me about how much time you spent creating certain patents and the chemical makeup of these products being safe for women of all ages. I'm in my mid-30s. I'm a perfect candidate, but my mom is in her 60s. And she uses it as well. And, and we both use this product. And Thank she you. swears that it it absolutely 
changed even the way her wrinkles were. And I swear that it helped keep my face feel voluminous. And I felt like I had that dewy glow that we're looking for without the grease. And of course, prevent those wrinkles that dry the cracking. I saw a big difference with the products I was using. And and I'll put some in the notes of, of what I was using. My mom was using a little bit more. I think she was using the whole gambit of everything really routinely. And, and she continues today. I think two days ago, she just bought her next set. So she is, we're both in two different stages of life as women aging differently. And we both really enjoyed it. So can you talk a little bit about the patent that you have on these products or or the unique chemistry, like you talked about the lanolin, is there anything else that you think some listeners or physicians would be really interested to learn as far as what makes these so superior? Well, I think the key is in, in the nature of putting an ingredient, a product based on an ingredient that is naturally occurring in skin, but gets depleted with age and frequent washing. If you think about today's hand washing soaps and cleansers, they're 50 times more effective than 30 years ago mm-hmm. using synthetic chemical ingredients. I mean, look at, look at the ads for uh, not just your clothes washing machine, but your dishwashing machine, the, the sparkle, the shiny you get, the squeak and all those sort of things because they remove all the oil they don't replace any back and our system is not just the landline based system but we developed the cleanser that was gentle enough that it would get rid of all the extra grime dirt oils prepare the skin just like if you're going to paint a board you don't just buy some paint slap on there you buy some sandpaper and you get some fine sandpaper and you get it dust free and then you put your your color or your coating or your finish on and you get the ultimate finished product, if you will. And you use paint that lasts or you use materials on the wood that preserves those fibers for long lasting. You know, if you're painting your pants around your house, you don't want to have to paint it every year. So why not get a paint that lasts 10 years? Or right. Whatever. So that's our philosophy is based on things that work well, that have a lasting effect, that have no negative impurities or bad effects or things of that sort, and just go for it. Give some to Susie and tell her to try it. If she likes it, we have some for sale. That's That's exactly an interesting way when you talked about how that's how you started your marketing. I mean, you just had to let the product speak for itself and utilize your network through word of mouth because in the 90s, no one is going online to search and you're not competing through digital advertising. It really had to be, you know, through that word of mouth, unless you were going to pay an astronomical amount on TV, which you are not at that point of the journey. So we've discussed how amazing the products are. And for our listeners, I will make sure we have it in the notes, links to the products. There's a lot of explanations on what each product does. There's certain kits that are sold as well. But for our physicians out there, whether you're in family practice, cosmetics, aesthetics, this is a product that you can provide your patients to deliver this type of quality skincare. And like Justin mentioned, and we need to circle back around to that. I'm sorry, I distracted us. But 
provide additional revenue. So can you talk about how physicians can provide this in their practice and the benefits for them in their practice in providing this skincare? Well, there's two categories of products that we have. One would be those that in the moisturizer are improving some defect or problem with skin. The other is the aesthetic side of it. A dermatologist today is looks more at the aesthetic product market than they did 30 years ago when we started. Oh, sure. I used to be dermatologists wanted things that would take care of dry skin, cracked skin, mm -hmm. uh, skin cancer, sun damage, things of that sort. But they've come around to their patients telling them, well, I, I don't like the dry skin, but I don't, I don't like the age spots that I have. I don't, you know. Mm -hmm. And so we're filling needs that were unperceived, if you will, by physicians years ago. And housewives are very savvy. They meet with other women and find out, what are you using? Why, why do your eyes look so shiny bright today? Oh, well, I'm, don't tell anybody, but I'm using something, some kind of product. And Susie's going to go order some, I promise you. She liked the effect that she saw that Mary had. I mean, six sisters, I learned a lot. <laughs> I bet they're very happy with the career path you have chosen as well. And these products too. I'm sure they're one of your biggest ambassadors. Well, I so enjoyed the time. Let's make sure for our listeners that they know the links and everything. The products we're discussing is Theraderm. And they have a lot of different purposes, as Dr. Beckman talked about. My personal favorite for any listeners interested is I like the hydrate and the peptide cream. That's just something I love. I use it every day. It's helped me postpartum and my skin changes and it was safe. Another one that I use absolutely without fail, Beach, running to the store is I love the SPF cream. It helped me provide an SPF underneath my makeup and with my skincare that I felt like hydrated me, didn't make me break out, didn't clog my pores. And as a, as a guy, I actually use that too. Cause even like if we're going <laughs> for a day at Disney or something, because I'm a, I'm a sweater by nature. And that, as you talked about earlier is one of the few things that doesn't feel like you just sweat it off of your face when you get out in a hundred degree Florida summer weather and start sure. walking around with your hat on and everything. And so it just really does soak in and then you're not sweating all the time, which is really nice. And for the listeners too, Dr. Beckman talked today about his journey in really becoming a surgeon and what a surgeon means to you, Dr. Beckman, could you kind of wrap up this episode talking about you, you touched on it a little bit by being honest, working as hard as you can. What does it mean for you looking back on your journey that you talked about today on what it means to be a surgeon, what it means to be a doctor out there and the career path you chose? Well, as I was growing up, the only thing I knew about doctors is once a year, you'd go get a shot before school started. And I, I didn't like them. I had nothing, <laughs> nothing to do with them, if you will. And then, of course, in college, I majored in chemistry. And my mentor, I guess, or my advisor, in, in, I majored in chemistry, and my chemistry advisor said, you really should consider going to medical school. And I didn't know anything about medical school, what was required, how you got there. And I inquired about it and found out it was another six years of school. And I had two kids by that time or something like that. And borrowing money to go to school for another however long didn't make sense. But I 
had a really good friend that was a plastic surgeon, an older older doctor, and he said, do it. Bond the money and do it. And I've never looked back, never regretted it. It's been the most enjoyable career that I could imagine helping other people that had problems in life because of their skin. It's amazing. I love hearing that because I know it's been a lot of work, I'm sure, and a lot of hours. And it's great to hear you kind of reflect back on that and just thinking of the impact you've probably made on who knows how many patients out there. And, and even those nights that you got called in, you know, who knows? So thank you so much. Yeah, Thank you, Dr. Bregman, for, for joining, joining us, us today. Well, thank you guys. It's a real pleasure to visit. Oh, and really quick before we leave, how can physicians looking to provide the product connect with Theraderm or you to have this in their practice? Well, they can go to theraderm.net and get phone numbers and how to connect with us. And when you call those numbers for the office, say, I want to talk to Dr. Beckman if I can. And I'm here on the other end to talk to him. So Excellent. Well, we'll make sure that all of that is in the show notes. And thank you again, Dr. Beckman, thank for joining us. Thank you so us. much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's latest episode of the Patient Convert Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and review on your favorite podcast platform. We are on Apple, iTunes, Google, Stitcher, and Spotify, or you can sign up to receive the latest episode via email. Just check it out on my agency website or my personal website. And if you are looking for more amazing healthcare marketing information or just to engage, check us out at entropy.com. And for any of my amazing physician liaisons out there interested in growing their physician referrals or learning the strategies that it takes to build highly engaged physician referral networks. Check out my website, kellynot.com, where I have free webinars, free downloads, and of course, my online physician liaison training course, Physician Liaison University. And as always, I'm a huge believer in connecting, engaging, and supporting one another. And the best way we can do that is networking. And I always, always connect with you guys on social media. And one of my biggest social media platforms is LinkedIn. So feel free to connect with me there on LinkedIn or Instagram or Twitter at Kelly Knott. And thank you guys again for listening to the Patient Convert Podcast with your host, Kelly Knott.